Hi, this is Libby. And this is Roberta. And this is Art Blog Radio. Today we're speaking with Michelle Post, and we're at the Da Vinci Art Alliance in South Philly. Michelle is a self-taught artist whose sculptures, she's making sculptures, and they are figurative in the old master's tradition of characters or archetypes whose faces encapsulate emotions and attitude. She calls her works tronies, and the tronies, a group of ten character busts that sit on tall plinths, were shown at Da Vinci Art Alliance last fall, which is where we saw them. Michelle lives in New Jersey, and she came into Philadelphia today to speak with us. Thank you, Michelle. Let's talk about a commission that you got recently to put your tronies at the grounds for sculpture. Mm-hmm. And that's more than a lot of artists will get in a lifetime. So <laughs> how did you get the commission? That's a good question. I got it by having the right thing at the right place at the right time, which is uh, pretty amazing. But uh, I happened to have um, a meeting with Mr. Johnson and showed him some of the new work that I was doing, which was these heads. And he looked at them and he says, oh, my God, that's exactly what I've been looking for. I said, huh? (laughs) you got to be kidding me. He said, no, he's been looking for a contemporary take on the old style of... of, um, a sculpture bus because he had in mind exactly where this was going to go but he had not been able to find something he liked and he refers to them as the mucky mucks mucky mucks, mucky mucks yes because <laughs> they they have this attitude about them that they're a little more superior than other people and and uh so he wanted the um main character bruno as the head mucky muck so have you named them all? Yes, they, they actually name themselves. Uh, they are carved out of styrofoam. Uh, I like things that are, to do things that are very quick, fast, especially as the older I get, I don't like to dwell on things that take a long time, a lot of process stuff. So by doing that, it's amazing the emotion and the character that comes through. Instead of trying to do every single little detail just perfectly right and exactly what the person would look like, no, the faster you can do it, the more of the emotion and the character can come through. And are these imagined out of your... Yeah, I start cutting and these heads come out. (laughs) Okay. No, it's it's really strange. You know, I might have an idea of what it is that I want. I want somebody who's really kind of scowling. Okay, and uh, so I start doing that, and... It may not come out scowling, but something else happens, which is equally as nice. And then I have to know when to back off. That's always the trick. That is the hardest part for most artists. When do you know to stop? Because, oh, I see this little tweak. I want to do it there, and I want to do it here. And then before you know it, you you lost that spontaneity that you got with those first couple whacks of the styrofoam uh, or clay or whatever it is, even paint, you know, and after they sat around, after they're done, they sit around for a while. They basically name themselves. There's a way. There's something about a face and a name that kind of go together. Bruno was definitely Bruno. I mean, there was no question about it. And Sydney is um, a very aloof businessman that is, or politician even. But he's because his eyes are closed and his head's back a little bit, and he's like, he's almost removing himself from the, the scenario of everyone. So Sydney was just a great name for that. Tell us what happens about your process. You mm-hmm. carve them out of styrofoam. Mm-hmm. What's your next step? Well, but yes, um, the, the edges of the styrofoam are pretty rough. 
and also I wanted a more smoother uh, surface, but yet to show the chisel-like marks that the, knife, the hot knife makes. So I, first of all, wrap it all in plaster gauze. Uh, you know, and also you want to give it a uh, hardness to it instead of the styrofoam. So plaster gauze, and then I put a coating of, right now it's um, water putty. And then it's sealed with shellac, and then it's painted, and then it's uh, acrylic paints and sealed, and then that's done. Now these are the originals. I was going to say, so right. what about the ones that are going outdoors? No, anything that goes outdoors, then it would have to be molded and cast in metal, and then they will be painted. But my uh, signature painting aspect is the black lines outlined all around. That actually started, it's a holdover from another line of work that I was doing the Shaker Furniture Collection. And whenever, so it's a visual pun, <laughs> what I had to do with all my... What is the pun? The pun is, it's visual. What I did with 1,500 salt and pepper shakers, uh, part of my collection that I had extra, and my husband says, well, you know, you should get some tables and chairs and glue it to it and call it Shaker Furniture. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> So let's talk about your trajectory from the Shaker Furniture Company to the Tronies. You were making a found object sculpture with the furniture, and now you're actually carving. True. And you were also making prints. So <laughs> prints before let's talk that. about the whole story. <laughs> uh, my my uh, art life is one thing leads to another. The way I painted the furniture was actually from one of the jobs that I was doing because I had to do a Van Gogh bedroom and he outlined a lot of stuff and I had to paint all this furniture with the black outlines. So I took that into painting the furniture for the Shaker Furniture Company. So that is where I got the painting technique for the tronies. It's the same thing, the black lines and all the vivid colors, the paints, but the heads actually came out of the Shaker Furniture as well. Um, at work, I had to do a uh, sample of some foam coating material, uh, something painting on styrofoam to make it hard for, for a project we were doing. So I said, okay, let me get a block of foam and try it out. But instead of just doing it on a block of foam, I said, well, that's not really indicative of what we're doing. I should at least carve it a little bit. Now, up to this point, I've never carved anything. I've always been a modeler. I got my hot knife out and I start carving and I was gonna do a bird. So I start carving, 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 and I say, oh, it doesn't look like a bird. But this head appeared. It started coming out. Oh, well, let's go with this. And I start carving some more. And this head's coming and all. And then suddenly, oh, my God, it's my husband, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and so I finished it off now that it started looking like him. Okay, now I'm, I'm start, I, I finished it off really to look like Dave. That what did he piece, think of it? I wonder. Oh, everybody. Well, <laughs> everybody else absolutely loved it. He's like, oh, I don't look like that. But, so this head then... I said, oh, good, I'm going to use it in my piece. And I put it right on the uh, Martha Washington cabin, and it became the curmudgeon cabinet because he is so fondly known as our curmudgeon. And where did the started. word tronies come from? Well, tronies is, is a term back from the um, Rembrandt days to describe a painting that was not a commissioned piece. Uh, Rembrandt, Vermeer, uh, Vermeer, all these artists would do these character studies of people. They could have been just off the street. It could have been one of the maids in the house. It could have been anybody. But they wanted to perfect their character studies, you know, of, of getting the expressions right and all. And so these were people that were not necessarily meant to be identified. But actually, they 
had a market at that time, too. They, they were very, very popular to sell. So let's talk about your day job, because you mentioned about the Van Gogh room and painting the black lines. Mm -hmm. So tell us what you do for your day job. Well, the day job is uh, I work, I am the director for museum displays and installations for the Sculpture Foundation. I know. And, and get, that on, get that on the business card. Where is the, what is the Sculpture Foundation? The Sculpture Foundation is the foundation that handles um, all of Mr. Johnson, Seward Johnson's work, and also other artists that uh, they have commissioned to cast work, uh, and it gets cited in public places. So uh, one of the, uh, what I do for Mr. Johnson is I do his traveling shows. He has two museum shows. One is Beyond the Frame, which is the Impressionist painting series that he's done where he's um, like the Manet's um, uh, Dejeuner Souleur. He did the figures in that, and it was my job to put it back into its painting in a three-dimensional form, but something that could travel to the museums. I saw that. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah, when you come in, the first thing you saw was on Poppy Hill, uh, on, on her mound, and we could not have anything real uh, plant material there. That's why the mound had to be all artificial, even with Dejeuner at the show. All the trees, all the grass, we had to make them. Well, how did you land there? I mean, tell us oh, about, okay, tell us about oh, your... Oh, that's a very interesting thing. All, like I said, all my jobs were in the uh, arts, except for my job at Ace Hardware. Uh, but when I came up to New Jersey, I had, was living in Florida at the time. My mom moved us back to New Jersey. My first job was with Edward Marshall Beams, the porcelain, um, you know, the birds, bean birds, and then there was Cebus who did figurines and a spanky. But my first job up here was a porcelain decorator. And I actually love that because I love birds at that time, and that was my main subject matter was birds. I worked there for about a year and a half, and then I decided I wanted to go to school. Well, I did a, a semester at um, uh, Mercer County College. All right, it wasn't for me. And in fact, uh, I had left and gone down to Florida, and I mailed my... <laughs> assignments back in and still made the dean's list but I said nah academics was enough for me because I had to work I, I I didn't we were very poor we didn't have uh money uh to do anything so I was um I had to work that's it so my next job I went back to the porcelain and then they they went out of business uh so we were all on unemployment and I'm like oh my god what am I going to do I need a job and a friend of mine said well, Michelle, why don't you go apply at the Johnson Atelier? I said, the Johnson what? <laughs> oh, it's, it's a sculpture foundry. I said, I don't know anything about that. She says, listen, with your um, talent and detail in my wood engravings, which we didn't talk about yet, you can get a job, but make sure you tell them you want to be staff and go into the wax room. I said, okay. So I called them up. And they looked at my portfolio of all my wood engravings, which is highly, highly detailed work. They said, well, if she can do that, she can chase wax. So I was hired as staff, and that was in 1986. So I'm working on my 28th year with the organization. Wow, that's great. So go back to your printmaking roots, ah. because we didn't hear about that, but we know you did the wood engraving. So yes. how did that get started? Well, um, I had always been a two-dimensional um, uh, artist, up until I came to the atelier. And I did a lot of drawing. And I wanted a way to reproduce it, but keep it original prints. I just didn't want to go get a, a, um, a offset print 
you know, and then sign it and number it. No, no, that's, that's a reproduction. It's not hand-pulled art. But I didn't know if, uh, of a, a medium that could give me the detail I wanted. I did silk screens. I did woodcuts. I didn't do etchings because I, I, etching presses were too expensive and I didn't have the college to use their uh, presses. So I was kind of in a quandary until I attended a print show at Mercer County College and walking around looking at it, and I rounded a corner, and here was this huge black and white, uh, rather abstract but figurative abstract, and I saw all the little dots and the little lines and all the detail, and I'm going like, oh, that's it, that's what I want to do. What is it? It's a wood engraving. I had no idea what a wood engraving is. No, it, wood engraving is for those who really can take the time to, and love detail because it takes so long to do. The wood engraving differs from a wood cut. A wood cut is done of a plank of wood. You can do it on a piece of plywood. You can do it on just about any size thing. But it has its limitations. Uh, you can't get very detailed with it because you're going to start chipping out wood. You also have, uh, because it's on the plank, the um, grain line showing through because of the hard and softness of the wood when it's on the plank side. Wood engravings, however, are done on the end grain. You're taking a ver um, horizontal slice of the tree instead of the vertical slice. So any place where you cut away, you don't have, you're not worrying about taking out, chipping out anything. And you can get so tiny with your lines so let's circle around to the yeah. tronies one okay. more time. Mm -hmm. So is there a new set of tronies you're working on? Well, or like are I you said, just casting? You're in the middle of making the big commission. Well, that, that's, that's being taken care of. I'm not necessarily involved in, in that whole aspect. But the um, starting to be a vignette now. I don't know exactly what you would call it, but it's expanding and that's um, not just one piece anymore. Is it narrative? There, thank you. That's the word. It's, it becomes a narrative. Yes, it actually has a story. And I had this old apple cart. It's this uh, from the turn of the century. It's these little carts that um, were used for many, many different things. They used to be used as goat carts. We started drawing. I said, oh, my God, you're right. And I started drawing the cart, and I'm putting the heads in the cart and the goats there and the guys driving the... And that's how it all, so now I'm getting into a narrative. It's a whole grouping that's telling the story. Oh, so you're adding on to the oh, one yeah, card. Yeah. It's not just the um, uh, single heads now. They're starting now in a new direction. Did, did you grow up knowing you would be an artist? From about age six. Did your mom have the artistic impulse too? Did she sew? Is that where you get the sewing from? Well, in in a um, in a in a way, yes, because um, she did sew. She used to sew all of our um, Halloween costumes, and a lot of times by hand because she didn't have a sewing machine. And she would doodle. She would do these little faces as she's talking on the phone or whatever, and she would do these little doodles. But that's as far as she ever really carried it. She was a single mom back in the 50s, which was very difficult. She had to work full-time. Then she had two part-time jobs. Yeah, so she didn't have the... She wasn't able to, to act on her artwork. My aunt, my Aunt Joyce, is very artistic. Uh, in fact, it was one of her paintings that I saw when I was a little kid taking a nap 
because <laughs> we used to be babysat over there. And it was a leopard sleeping in a limb of a tree, very atmosphere, beautiful, absolutely gorgeous, small little painting. I used to go to sleep looking at that, and I said, I'm going to be like that. My, my nephew, um, as a matter of fact, speaking of running in the family, is David Dempiewolf, who uh, he and his wife, Yuka, have, uh, they do marginal utility, and they also did base camp and all. So um, he's Which been are both galleries. Yes, yes. yes. And um, he you know, kind of grew up with everything that I was doing at the time. He learned wood engraving through me. He came to me one, he was 19 years old, 18, 17, somewhere around there. He said, Aunt Mickey, I want to learn wood engraving. And I said, oh, geez. <laughs> and uh, so I said, okay, here, here's two, I had two scrap blocks here. Here's two blocks, here's two tools, here's how you hold it, here's what you do. And I let him alone. I come down the next morning, and I look at the two blocks. He finished them. I just, my, my eyes popped out of my head. I said, oh, my God. So I just kept feeding him blocks and more tools, and, and I would print his editions. And, and then he um, went on from there. He did his whole life story. He was 19 years old. He did his life story in wood engravings. Gosh. Yeah. Do you still have that series? Oh, you're darn right. <laughs> <laughs> I have more David Debbie Wolf's early works than, than anyone. Well, on that note, thank you so much for talking with us. We've been speaking with Michelle Post today at Da Vinci Art Alliance. Thanks. thanks thank you. Michelle. It was thank a pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. Art Blog Radio is brought to you by theartblog.org. Thanks to our sponsors, including the Knight Foundation. Also, we want to thank Peter Crimmins, who makes us sound good. He's our editor. And thanks to Eric Biondo for his music. You can download these podcasts at theartblog.org slash radio.